0: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear?
1: Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
2: Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast. To the Whitetail Legacy Podcast and the first ever Throwback Thursday episode. Really cool that I'm going to be bringing you guys back to back um episodes on wednesday and thursday for the whole entire rest of the year a little more workload on me on the editing side um and which episodes i want to release and the intro and stuff like that but this is the year that i'm i'm going full sin taking the quote from my good buddy garrett and not wasting it i'm not gonna waste this year i'm gonna go as hard as i can on the content for you guys um we got a really cool episode um this episode was originally recorded october 17th of 2018 guys So this is way back in the day, Um, you know, when we episode 48 with Heath Sisko, the first time we ever had Heath Sisko on the episode, Um, and this is a really cool episode um, where Heath kind of goes into like the origin story of hunting for him, kind of how he gets ready for the season, Um, his hunting as he was growing up, Um, we dive into a whole bunch of stuff on this episode, Um, you know, how he gets ready to prepare for the shot on big bucks. Um, how he dives into the moon and some deer movement on this. Um, very, very insightful episode from Heath. When we were very first beginning the episode, um, when we were just trying to absorb any content from these, um, these, well, these guys that like Heath wasn't incredibly well known at this time. Um, but he's been on so many podcasts since, um, and, uh, a great guide. If you ever looking for an episode, um, he is going to say something that's going to perk your interest An all around great dude. And I'm excited to release this episode again, because you know, you release this out on the airways and you know, back in 2018, hell, we might only had a couple hundred people listen to us at this time. Um, so we'll get this content out there. That's incredibly good out to more people so we can value those people. And especially like maybe if a guy started hunting last year or this year and started diving into the podcast, he missed this content. Like, and this is the stuff that you want to hear from Heath. This is that, that, you know, real down in the grit, how to kill big buck stuff. Um, and this isn't the, the last time you're going to hear Heath. Um, one of my favorite episodes ever I will release um, in the coming weeks on a throwback Thursday was with Heath. Um, we're talking about bucks in the rut, man. Just incredible, incredible episode. Uh, but, anyways, um, like I said, this is really cool because it digs into the origin story of of Heath and how he kind of got started with hunting and the struggles of the early days and him, you know, not killing bucks and stuff like that. Really cool to hear that side of him. Um, but, you know, before we get into it, we got to get into the people that make this possible. These Throwback Thursdays are gonna be short, guys. Um, Exodus outdoor gear. If you guys are looking for any cameras, got any questions, want to know any feedback. Main thing is five year warranty. No BS. They're going to just going to give you a new camera. If the thing's messed up for five years, leave it out there every single damn day. And that warranty is going to be solid. They ain't going to argue with about it. They ain't going to do this. You're going to get a new camera just straight up. Um, you can save 10% with my code and, uh, that's in the bio or code or WLP. Um, and Rec broadheads. Save 17% on Brideheads now, which is pretty sweet. Um, that code's going to be coming out very soon. Oh, I'm, I apologize. The the Exodus code is code WL, not WLP. W, just WL is Exodus. I always get those confused. The Rec Bridehead code's coming out soon. Um, they haven't got with me yet, uh, but that will be a 17% off discount code. And like always, if you guys are wanting to get any fitness supplements, want to talk about fitness, want to do anything, um, reach out, we can talk some, we can talk some fitness, to impact lives this year. Um, and, uh, already had a really good January impact in a lot of people. So going to be a really exciting year. If you listened to the Wednesday episode and you did, haven't done the challenge yet, I'm calling it out again, doing the mailbox challenge this week. Um, go on a walk with your kids, go on a run, go on whatever, get moving. The weather's nice. Don't have very good excuses right now. Um, and see how many mailboxes you can get. And I want to see some accountability i want to see some posts coming back some messages coming back about five mailboxes 25 mailboxes 50 mailboxes whatever you got i want to know so just walk as far as you walk every mailbox you walk past is one point um and uh like i said i want to see who who's got it out there and who's doing it so don't be afraid to reach out and, uh, and hit me up cause I'm going to be doing mine tomorrow and I'm going to release in all my story, how many mailboxes I got kind of challenging you guys, um, to, to, to beat me. Um, and my eight year old son's going with me. We're going to go on a little jog after work and uh, we're going to put the work in and, and, and knock out some mailboxes. So that's the challenge this week. Like always love you guys. Hopefully you enjoy this episode. I know you will. A uh, special guest from homie, my old co-host, good buddy of mine did it for years um he's on the show so you get a little splash from the old good days of uh homie and me in here banging together on episode um so that's really cool to go back to those memories line and, how you doing uh, tonight you enjoy this one here we go i'm doing
3: great how are you doing
2: I'm doing good man just like we were saying we appreciate you coming on uh we heard that you're a tailed killing fool from uh the learning curve we're super jacked to have you here to to learn and uh to pe- pick your brain about hunting big mature whitetails i mean it's it's season now we're out hunting so i'm the kind of guy that if i'm not hunting i'm listening to a podcast trying to learn something about hunting so we can't thank you enough
3: well i appreciate you having me on and i hope that uh, maybe somebody can pick up something from what i have to say and who knows you guys may uh say a few things as well and i can pick up from it so
2: awesome Good deal so let's go ahead just introduce yourself uh talk about kind of how you started hunting and uh, anything else you want to say
3: Sure. Well, I grew up in Southern Ohio on just a rural farm and uh, started out like most people. Dad was taking me squirrel hunting and rabbit hunting at an early age. And uh, my dad wasn't much of a deer hunter, but my uncle was. And uh, I can't remember, I was probably eight or nine when uh, I got home from squirrel hunting one day. And my uncle said, look in the back of a truck, and there was a buck he'd kill with a bow that morning. And after seeing that buck, it kind of, I guess it changed my life forever. Uh, I started picking his brain constantly, and then my dad finally got me a bow when I was around 12, and uh, I killed my first buck when I was 13, which uh, wasn't much of a story, just kind of luck. Uh, The buck just kind of, I guess, ran in front of my arrow. (laughs) Lack of a better hunt. I mean, it was just pretty much luck, but started hunting uh, a bunch after that, bow hunting. Didn't have much luck. My dad uh, grew up when he was younger, there wasn't hardly really any deer, so he didn't want me shoot any does. And, uh, so I was just targeting bucks and, you know, I very rarely seen a buck. So I didn't kill another deer for quite a few years. And then, uh, so I didn't get a lot of that kill experience. And then when I did have a buck come in on me, I would always screw it up because I just, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd get buck fever or whatever. It could be a spike, three point, whatever. So as that went on, I killed a few bucks and then, uh, when I was in high school, about my junior year, I met uh, another guy who was as crazy about deer hunting as me, and we started sharing stories, and he was friends with a guy who had killed, I think, six Pope and Youngs at that point in time, and this we're talking like 86, 1986, so killing six Pope and Youngs back in that day was really something. So uh, we started hanging out with him and talking to him, and he basically led us down the path, basically showed us how, you know, that deer use the wind and I didn't pay any attention to wind when I first started hunting and how they use the wind and the best time to hunt them. He said, basically you had to hunt them the first week or two in November. Other than that, the big bucks never moved. So from 86, probably till uh, early 2000s, that's how I hunted them. I hunted the first two, week of no- two weeks in November. And uh, if it didn't happen then, I hunted, but I just didn't have much luck and then let's say I guess in 1988 I set out to for hunting trophy bucks well I say trophy bucks meaning something that was made the uh, 125 Pope and Young minimum and I was lucky enough to uh, find a farm that had four potential bucks on it and ended up killing one of them in 1989 it scored 130 around 131 inches and then since then I've been Chasing and Poking and Young Bucks ever since.
1: <laughs> you ready for the fact of the podcast? <laughs>
2: Cody and I weren't even
1: alive in (laughs) nineteen eighty eight. This this guy's got
2: he's got all this knowledge. He's been hunting longer than we've been alive, (laughs) man. We gotta soak it up, man. Soak it up. Oh,
1: I I love when when you know, Cody and I'll be at work and we'll be talking to some guy who's been doing this job for thirty four years and he'll be like, Oh yeah, I hired on in seventy four and we're like, dude, I wasn't even alive for twenty (laughs) six (laughs) years.
3: Uh, yeah, well, I'm getting older as the time goes by, so, but like I said, uh, started out hunting, you know, mature, I say mature whitetail. The buck I killed in 89 was a three-and-a-half-year-old buck who just happened to score 131, and I did that hunting uh, the first two weeks of November, hunting pinch points, uh, funnels, different things like that, no bedding areas, and it was working okay, but it seemed like as much work as I was putting into it, I wasn't getting much out of it because I wasn't killing a buck except every, like, three years. And, you know, when you're targeting, you try to kill something bigger every year, it was tough. So uh, I just thought that's how it was. I mean, you're reading these magazines, you got to be, you know, I I took all this stuff in, and it just wasn't working. It was working, but it wasn't working for me. I wasn't happy with my results. It was just too much time in between kills. I would get one or two opportunities a year, and that would be it. So uh, I wanted to – I was looking for – new ways to change things. But, you know, I was just going along with what I was told and how I was taught. So then come along in about 2005, 2006, there was a show that, uh, come on, I can't remember if it was was on the Outdoor Channel, Sportsman's Channel or what, and it was called Whitetail Addictions. And it was by the creator of Lone Wolf, Andre DeQuisto. And after watching that show, he's such an aggressive hunter, I had to learn everything I could about him. And uh, I got these two DVDs called, uh, let's see, a Marsh, I think it's Marsh Hunting Whitetail. And then, uh, what was it, uh, is a Hill Country Whitetail? I think it was produced by uh, Blood Brothers. And now it's like The Hunting Beast and, let's say, Next Buck. And I watched those videos and, like I said, it completely changed my thought process and how I approached hunting. And it's been that way ever since. So I just keep building on that.
2: Yeah man that's awesome. I like you say the 130 I mean and would you say 88 you said? <laughs> 89. <89? It's> 89.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I
2: mean that was that's a that was a big deer back then, wasn't it? I mean in the 130. Yeah. I mean, I mean that was a giant yeah. deer. I remember my grandpa yep, telling me he uh he loved deer hunting but he stopped deer hunting and started coon hunting and stuff because there just wasn't enough game. You know there just wasn't enough deer around in our area. So he just decided to quit it, you know, quit deer hunting, but he had, he had the passion for me, you know, and he'd teach me a little bit, but just like you, it was all the wrong stuff, you know, because that's how he hunted and he was successful a little bit, but he wasn't in it. Like we're in it, you know, where it's a, you know, obsession and we're trying to target one deer and, but yeah, those old videos, I can only imagine when the, I mean, that, that's probably when they like first started really coming out, huh? Was when you first started watching them? Yes. I mean, yeah. that, to be able to uh, see those hunts and stuff happen, you know, firsthand like that from the very beginning, I mean, the amount of knowledge that you could obtain would have been insane.
3: Yeah, because it was the, really the first instructional videos. And I still tell people today, they ask me, how do I get to this? How do I learn how you hunt and all this stuff? I said, buy these videos, buy these two videos. And they're the older ones. Not, I think Dan Infall's put out new ones since, but these are the older ones. And I was like, watch these and learn from these guys, and you'll start figuring things out differently than what all these other people have told you. And that's what I did. I picked up on it, I put it to work, and it's been working for me ever since. I mean, you know, back, always before the older videos, like I started watching the juries back when they started putting out monster bucks. And that was back, I mean, that was in the early 90s, I think, mid-90s, somewhere around in there. And uh, it was just kill, 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 and there wasn't much to it. You know, these videos basically go in depth and explain and just talk about bedding, talk about getting tight, talking about being aggressive and hunting bucks instead of just hunting deer. You know, there's I'm a big excited difference.
2: to watch them. I've, I've never <laughs> seen either of those, so I'm, I'm going to look them up. I'm going to look them up and watch those. I'm sure they're on YouTube or somewhere you can find them.
3: I, I, I would assume. I know Next Buck still sells them and uh, the hunting bee sells them, but I think Dan completely redone some of them. I like the ones... Uh, the original ones because it has uh, bonus sections in there with Andre DeQuisto and he goes into great detail and hunting and stuff. And he's just, yeah, you know, I've, I've uh, heard
2: just insane stuff about him. Like he's just a mastermind.
1: So. I'm, a, I'm assuming yeah. you've listened to uh, Dan and Mario on their podcast.
3: Oh yes, I definitely yeah. do.
1: Yeah. Very I good. Very good information there. Um, Absolutely. One thing that I'd like to hear you say there. Um, you know, you didn't get, you didn't start hunting, you know, the way you're hunting now. Hunting is a transition through time. And, you know, I started hunting, um, you know, just shotgun only. And then I got a bow and I started bow hunting like I was shotgun hunting. Not much success because I couldn't get deer close enough to shoot them. But, you know, shotgun hunting was no problem. I could, you know, I could shoot 50 yards, no problem. However, at you know sixteen, seventeen years old, I'm not really comfortable shooting a bow that I just got a year ago. You know, at, at fifty yards. So it, it's glad to hear you start out like you did, and to see your videos to where you are now. Knowing that you know, if I keep if I keep going at it like I am, if I keep trying to learn, keep reading articles, keep reading magazines, keep listening to podcasts, keep watching videos, and like you said just listen and pick up on the key factors that you can keep progressing in your
3: deer hunting career yes that is that is a fact and especially like when you get a one of my problems was in the beginning was when i did get that buck to come in on me i would blow the shot and that was from lack of experience of killing shooting let's say deer so and and it was one of the things my dad didn't want me shooting does back in the beginning because it wasn't very meaty. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have a lot of kills under my belt. And then when I, you know, like when I killed that buck in uh, 89, you know, then when I hunted in 90, let's say I missed one because I blew the shot when it come in, I got the opportunity, but I blew the shot. So what I've picked up on is it's nice to, you know, in Ohio, we get several doe tags every year and I love eating deer meat. So what better opportunity to go. I turn home my skills a little bit on shooting and, it's different to shooting at a spot on the target and shooting at a live animal out in the woods. It's totally different, especially when you're, when you're the buildup of 300 some days for hunting season, the buildup, testosterone, everything you have to get to that moment. I mean, you you get so excited. It's it's like they say buck fever. I mean, I'd get buck fever bad. I still get it today. <laughs> I get it and too, man. It. Yeah,
2: I get it too. But like being homie was we just talking about that. I was like, this season, I think it's because we've started this podcast and it's it, it used to be like I was obsessed with whitetail, but I might do one thing a week. Like I might shoot my bow or I might watch a video, but now it's every day. Every day I'm talking to someone about whitetail. So this season, I need to go out there and shoot a couple does and fill my freezer. Or I feel like when a buck comes in, I'm going to be so jacked up because <laughs> I've been yep. waiting for this moment. You know, I've been waiting in... And if it's a couple particular deer that I've been hunting for a couple seasons, then it's even worse, you know, because then you're like, okay, this is it, this is the moment I've been trying for two or three years, you know, to to accomplish, and it's right here. So it's well, it, I get it's just you there. like Heath, you know,
1: you'll be able to speak on this better than anybody. I mean, just watching the video that you guys put out, you know, when when a buck comes in and you shoot, and we'll say you miss, which we've all missed. I don't. I don't care who you are. Say you miss <clears throat> two minutes after you, you get settled back down. You're like, man, I, I just hope he circles back in. I'm gonna be a lot steadier. And then you know, I've had one time where it did happen, and it just rock solid, you know, because the buck fever's gone because you've already had that first experience already messed up yeah you already you know? messed up once, yeah, you like, okay. messed up once. Yeah. so then it happens again and then you know you know what
3: not to do really yeah absolutely and and you got to get your mind right and a guy told me that a few years ago you got to get your mind right when you're hunting uh, well I, I'm keep referring back to trophy whitetail but a deer that you're really wanting let's say no matter if that's a 100 inch buck or no matter if it's a 180 it's all uh, own personal preference and the along with the area you're hunting. You got to get your mind right. You got to, you got to understand that I have to, for these five seconds, I've got to do the right thing. I got to not think about the rack, not think about him, uh, uh, you know, running off. You just got to slow everything down, settle your pin, and squeeze. And I like settling my pin and counting to three. And before I get to three, I'm about on two. I'm already squeezing off, holding on the spot. And that's what I didn't do. I'm like. Like we talked about before uh, on the new show to come out on the Learning Curve Outdoor Web Series that uh, guys I work with, I blew it. The first shot on that video, the actual buck dropped about 12 inches and you can see in the video. So I made a decent shot, but I just didn't aim low enough because it was around 33 yards. And I don't know if you guys have watched, Bill Winky's done studies on it. Somewhere mm-hmm. around 30 yards, these deer, they can... Here faster than the air travels, and they automatically load their legs up, which is dropping, to run off. And that's exactly what this fuck did. I mean, he was making a scrape. He didn't have any clue I was around, and he still was able to drop 12 inches before my arrow got there.
1: Yeah, because he was I quartering away that. hard, and, you know, he walked right by you pretty much. And, I mean, you had pretty much free rein on him, and then you release an arrow, and he just drops
3: out of nowhere. Yeah, and you seen in the video, he didn't have a clue I was anywhere around. No. But when that bow went off, he was loading up and taking out. No,
1: I would have pretty much aimed where you aimed. I mean, if I was in the tree, because it looks spot on, you just don't account for him dropping 12 inches.
3: Sure. And then the second buck that I miss, the one I call hula hoop. Oh, uh, hula
2: hoop, man. Jeez. <laughs> yeah,
3: that, <laughs> that was... I, you could ask my wife. I mean, I still cringe over that. It's just it's hard to get opportunities like that. Oh I mean, man! Blow them yeah. as bad as I did on that buck. It just really hurts. Uh, but I had that buck come in, and basically what I did is I pulled my bow back, and he he came in on me on my right side. I was expecting him to come on the left. And you guys do any video and stuff with the camera arm or whatever? I do all self video myself. Oh, props yeah, to you, I got, man. I used, I do my. I put my camera arm on my right-hand side. So he come in on my right-hand side behind me, and I couldn't get my camera arm set up, and my bow drawn back at the same time. So if you see the video, he looked right up at me. I mean, he heard me moving because I bumped the camera arm with my bow, and then he just backed out, and he stopped, and I didn't have a shot. And then he was about, and what you guys don't know in the video is he was on my wind. I mean, my wind was blowing right where he was getting ready to walk. So I rushed. I was thinking in my my head, he's going to win me. He's going to win me. So I rushed my shot. I didn't settle my pin, and I shot right over top of his back.
2: Yeah, it's just Man. that simple. I've been there before. I lost a giant on a bad shot, bad circumstance, rushing the shot. Like, okay, this doe just spooked. He's going to spooked. I got to send it right now, <laughs> or it's it's over. You know what I mean? same situation where you're just you're thinking you're doing the right thing in the moment to make yourself successful but then you look back you're like you know there's a lot of things i could do different but just like we said before props to you for letting them release it and props to the learning curve for releasing that stuff because that's real to us we talk about that a lot on the podcast we relate to realism and that's exactly what that's real hunting i mean people People miss. I've missed. Homies missed. Mm-hmm. We're not afraid to to talk about it because if there's a new hunter out there that thinks you go out there and just shoot deer and then misses a couple of times, he's gonna get discouraged. If all he sees on TV is just guys just slamming big deer,
1: all he sees is Mark Drury just hammering yeah, buck just after buck, buck I
2: mean, after buck, and then you see no, seen Mark you, Drury miss. Yeah, you know, you see no misses like you guys are putting out, and then if a a, a, guy, a newer hunter seen your video and he's like. Well, this guy's been hunting for 30 years, and he just missed. So it happens. Do you know what I mean?
3: It's part of it. It's
2: part of it. You learn from it. Huge props to you and the Learning Curve for putting that out. Thank you. That that meant a lot to me to see, you know.
3: Great. Well, like I said, we're a web series, so we can do what we want. And that's what we want to do. We want to show it real and how it happened and and, and the screw-ups. I mean, uh, because that's what, like you said, that's what people learn from. I learned from that hunt. Unfortunately, I miss that buck, and I get to watch it all the time, and it haunts me still to this day. You got any trail cam of him this year? <laughs> uh, no, this, this, that, that hunt was a couple of years ago. Oh, was it? Yeah, oh, and he, uh, a set of sheds was found off that buck, and uh, we never seen him again. And what's funny is I wasn't in his home range. I was in basically what I would consider his rut range. Uh, he'd come into that area in that section of oaks on that farm, Every year around the same time, around the end of October, and he would stay there throughout November and towards the end of November, he would disappear again. And he'd done that for three years in a row. And I never targeted him till that year, and and I didn't know if he was going to show or whether it was killed or poached or died from EHD. I didn't know, so that's why I set out to target the long brow ten that I missed in the earlier in the video. Mm-hmm. Oh, so that's basically. I mean, like when i set out each hunting season like this hunting season i've got a particular deer in mind that i'm targeting and that's what i do in all my other seasons as well i target i usually try to find the biggest bucket i can find that i have access to hunt and i hunt that particular deer until there's someone kills him he disappears completely and the sign dries up no camera pictures no sightings and then i move on to the next but usually like i got a buck now, I'm going to concentrate on him until the end of November. If I don't have him by the end of November, or if he disappears before then, if I don't have him by the end of November, I'll switch up to another buck, and I monitor numerous different areas. And if the conditions aren't right for me to hunt that particular deer, I'll go maybe step back and observe on another farm, scout another area, always try to stay a couple steps ahead of the game for other deer, because you just don't know when this one's going to disappear Somebody else to get him or whatever. So you, well, you got to have several in the bag going into the season, saying, "Okay, if this doesn't work out, I can go after that one. If that doesn't work out, I can go after this. If not, you're going to be struggling as soon as something happens to your number one target buck." So that's what I do. Yeah,
1: yeah. always nice to have the ones in your back pocket. Always to have them. <laughs>
2: always have the ones like, "Man, this would be a really great buck to shoot. I'd be super happy, but I'd be way more happy with this <laughs> buck, you know." Yeah. So. That's kind of how we play it. We got we got two bucks in mind right now that are, they're mega huge. They're be a, our biggest bucks by far, um, by, probably by thirty inches. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, yeah. That's good.
3: yeah.
2: So we got them too, and then we got a bunch of uh, the one forty one fifty class so that if they step out, they're gonna they're gonna get it too. We're I would tell a lot of people I'm at that stage right now where I'm really happy with uh, a a one forty one fifty class buck with a bow. Super, super that's stoked a, with that. So
3: that's a great deer. Oh, I'm sure I'll deer get, it, I'm
2: will get i sure I'll get past that over the years, you know, of hunting. But I'm not ashamed that if if a, a buck that I don't know that maybe three and a half, that's one forty, one fifty, I'm yeah, I'm gonna shoot that deer. Oh, yeah. You know. So that's sure, just where well, I'm
3: you're, at. You're crazy not to. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to each their own. I mean, yeah, a lot know. of
2: people would look it, down on me for yeah, saying yeah, that. It, you know, it, <laughs> they just they well, that was a three and a half year old. He would have been huge next year. Well I hunt a twenty-five acre piece. <laughs> a lot of times, you know, in one spot is that buck gonna be on my property next year? I have no idea. I've never had a buck where I'm like, oh yeah, he's patterned. He's. I had one deer that was like that, and then I messed up on him. I shot him in the rut, luckily. But other than that, I've never had a deer that I was just like, oh yeah, I feel really confident about this buck, you know. So I don't, I don't get that. So if that happens, I'm, I'm all over it.
3: Sure, and you got to put everything everything into perspective. If you don't have a lot of properties, and you don't have a lot of quality bucks, and you just hunt the biggest buck you can hunt, if that's what you're after, instead of just maybe a deer or whatever. Some of these people, in down south, I mean, 110 inches a like a 160 in Ohio. You know, I mean, yeah, it's all just. uh I know some great hunters from down south that you know you look at their wall and you're like, man, they only got 130s or biggest heads. But they're killing them in places where they're just there aren't on even one thirties. You know what I mean? It was a, kind of a freaking nature. So. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah. We got some buddies in um, Georgia and, and down South, Texas and Mississippi, and you know they're like hundred and ten is a giant. And I'm like, I want you to come up here in Illinois, and I will set you in a stand, and I'll put you on a hundred and ten inch buck. I guarantee. <laughs> you I could do that all all every day in the rut. What day you want to come? Just yeah. name it. I'll put you on sure. a one ten. You know. But it's just a different different area, and it's different. But like I said, they got free reign to come up here because if I hunted down there and that was a one thirty was the biggest deer, I'd be just tickled to death to shoot a one thirty. You know what I mean? So it's just absolutely all based on where you're at. And like you said, hunt the biggest deer you can hunt. And if you accomplish that, then that's a huge goal. If you kill the biggest deer yes. on your property, whether it's a two and a half year old or if it's a five and a half year old, you that's a huge that's a huge accomplishment in my eyes.
3: Sure, I, I completely agree, and uh, like I said, I have several properties I hunt. I go out of, I try to go out of state every year, but, you know, if 150 is the biggest thing, I mean, I've killed a lot of good deer, and if 150 is the biggest thing I could find, that's what I have to hunt. I may, I may keep searching everywhere else and trying to locate bigger ones, but, I mean, that's just what I have to go after. It is what it is.
1: Well, Heath, I want to get back to something that you brought up here a few minutes ago is getting your mind right for the shot. Um I know Cody and I we I mean we both work together and I know last year we, we we didn't even have a podcast at this point last year but Cody come to me and he's like, "Hey man, are you ready for season?" and I said, "Yeah, you know, I'm ready to go. I'm I'm ready for the grind." And by the grind, I mean you go I I took a week of vacation late October, you know, I'm ready to go hunting and see, you know, maybe five does or see one bug or two bucks. So one thing that has gotten me into that mind frame is I get in shape right before season. And that's what prepares me mentally to endure the grind of not seeing deer, but still being able to get up every morning and go hunting and endure the the slowness at times you know you know some people be like oh well you're coming off the october low you're not going to see anything well then you know we're getting into pre-rut or whatever but what what gets you into the right mind going into the season what what, what are some things that you do
3: sure well there's uh, several things that you just mentioned getting in the right mindset for hunting season and getting in the right mindset for the shot i guess uh, Classify those as two different things. Right. Getting in the right mindset for hunting season is, I set my goal, on it. Usually, it comes off of what I seen last year or what I have trail camera pictures of this year. And me getting older, I mean, I gotta, I gotta get in shape too. I try to stay in great shapes because it, it becomes a grind, of, getting up early, you know, going to your stand, hunting, scouting, uh, moving around, moving stands, and then hunting and getting home late. And you know you, you got to balance you know, family and everything else, <laughs> right. but uh, you you just mentally you're going to be exhausted, but you got to keep pushing. But you got to peak at certain times, in my opinion. Me, I like starting out slow in the beginning of the season. Then I I start building up, and then around the twentieth of October, I'm I want to be primed up. I want to be right there in it, and I want to be on top of the buck that I'm after, and I want to try to take him between. Somewhere around October 20th. It depends on what the opportunities are. October 20th to around the 1st of November. And then around in November, I mean, I some people think I'm crazy for saying this. I hate hunting the rut. It's fun, but I'm a, I hunt one particular buck in my home state. And that buck could be two miles away in a ditch with a doe for three <laughs> or four days. And, and I'm out there, I feel like I'm wasting my time. So I hate hunting the rut. I want to hunt him mid to late October before he gets that rut urge and heads out another farm, two farms over or whatever. So I want to I be completely prepared shape-wise, stand-wise, all this stuff by around October the 20th. Now, I've killed deer earlier. It doesn't happen every year, but it just depends on what's happening. Like this year, it's going to be tough because we have so many acorns. So food is everywhere. So I know that... It's going to be tough to get on a particular buck because they're just everywhere. I mean, they could be anywhere. So, and then, like, in November when I go out of town, it's just, it's all I do is hunt. You know, I call my family at night, I hunt, get up in the morning, I hunt. I may get down and scout. Usually I don't because it's November and I'm hunting pinches and <laughs> normal rut hunts, doe bedding areas, pinch points, travel corridors, stuff like that. And then when I get back from my out-of-state hunt, usually... Late November, I try to hit it again around thanks. Well, when I get back around the 18th, somewhere around there to Thanksgiving, I hit it pretty hard. And then during our gun season comes in the first Monday after Thanksgiving. So I kind of lay back. And then I, it's mainly an evening game after that for me uh, through December and January if I'm still holding the tag. So that's, I guess, preparing for season. But I'm always doing stuff. I'm always running mineral licks, running cameras, uh, trying to stay in shape the best I can. Then when we were talking about the mental thing for the shot, it's basically when you have that buck that you've been anticipating and wanting for the last three or four months, months—I say six months because you've been looking, at, looking forward to shooting him since last season, let's say, or whatever, and he comes in, all that anticipation is built up, and me, I'm sure it happens with a lot of other people, you know, I get really excited, and I could possibly blow my opportunity. So what I do is I try to think of it as more like a job, let's say. it's I come in here to get it done. I didn't come in here to get all tore up and all this stuff and just see the buck. I come in here to kill it. So I get in the killer mindset. If I'm taking this deer, he just has to give me an opportunity. And when he does give me that opportunity, I bury the pin. And Like I said, I usually count to two to three and i release it and then after that happens you know i let everything go i you know that's when i, I start getting excited the buck comes on and all that stuff because so i still get jacked up <laughs> uh i mean as much not more than anyone so but before that moment happens i make sure it's all business until it happens until i pull that uh, put that shot on that deer and after that then we can celebrate do whatever so
1: yeah a lot of people like to say you know uh, they'll stop hunting when they get that buck fever but from your videos man I don't think you're ever going to stop because you get that buck fever every time
3: <laughs> absolutely it's it's all part of it I mean that's that's why we do it we're looking for that three to four second ad- adrenaline rush it's something else
1: I wish it lasted longer what'd you say again? I said I wish it lasted
3: longer <laughs> <laughs> well, you get to. I get to kick back in the uh, easy chair and look at them on the wall and just uh, replay all the hunts. And now, you know, since I've been videoing uh, all self videoing all my hunts, now it's, I get to replay and So it's very nice.
1: Yeah, that is super cool. Um, you know, just to relate where I, where I'm coming from on getting your mind right um losing weight's not easy you have you have bad days you have good days and it's the same in hunting you have good days you have bad days especially when you take a week off you know you see a lot of deer moving and then you think they're going to be moving over here and you you, you make that move and then they don't and you have to kind of regroup yourself and you know find the find the tenacity to keep going so i I like how i like how you use the word kill you know um we're not out there to do a beautiful thing we're out there to kill these deer and uh, is that is that something that you've always used or is that something new
3: well I mean I've 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 blew so many shots over the years I had to I have to keep I had to keep honing that so I would put in all this time and effort and blow the opportunity. And I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I out here? If I can't make it happen on that last three or four seconds. So I got in the mind. I just got ingrained in my mind. I'm out here. Every time I go, I anticipate that I'm going to kill that deer. It's going to happen. I You have to be on your toes and be prepared. I don't know how many times me and other people have set out there and just Next thing you know, they're lollygagging around, screwing around on their phone, and the deer appears. And you're not ready. You have to be in the mindset that it's going to happen, and you better be prepared. And I'm out there to kill it. I mean, that's what I'm doing. I'm out here to kill a particular buck, and that's what I'm doing. And that's what I have in my mindset now. I know that as well, you know, some deer have, let's say, a sixth sense, and they can sense danger. So I'm 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 borderline on that, you know what I mean? I want to be I want to have the killer instinct, but then again, I don't want to be so jacked up to where, you know, I could send off let's say bad vibes or brainwaves or whatever you want to call it. I mean, I'm a little uh, on edge about that stuff because I do believe that they do have a sixth sense. So I mean, it's just like uh, you know, a dog can tell when you're upset. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, they can they can read that on you, and I don't want to portray that, but I'm out there for a job. I'm going. I'm. I'm out there to get that job done, and that job is to kill that deer.
2: Yeah, we love. We like. We like when people say that because that's what we do. You know, don't sugarcoat it. We're out there. This is what we do. We feed our family with this meat. This is our passion, and uh, just like you, we can, t- I could tell that. I mean, you could talk for hours because we're in. We're into it. You know, we're, we we want to go deep. We want to learn, and one thing that you want to talk about when you you know brought it up, I said, what's some stuff you want to talk about? I was super jacked when you said moon because I don't know how many episodes <laughs> me and homie have looked like, you know, just like we Fools. don't know anything about hunting because we know nothing about the moon. We, I mean, we can, I've listened to, you know, Mark and Terry Drury talk about it, but I'm still confused on it. So I really want to dig your mind on it a little bit and see what a normal guy who's not maybe have the ground that the juries have has seen the moon do an us hunting-wise?
3: Gotcha. Well, I got uh, basically introduced to the moon, well, through fishing, basically. I mean, you know, I used uh, uh, the moon times and stuff in the old farmer's almanac for fishing, uh, a great, uh, let's say great times for fishing. And that kind of was pretty good, but, you know, it was still weather-dependent. And then uh, way back I can't remember what it was. Jeff Murray had come out with the Moon uh, Moonbeams I think was the book, and he had uh, Miles Keller in it. And everybody in the hunting industry knows Miles Keller. I mean Miles Keller was killing big deer back when you know I was a baby even. Uh, so I was real curious about reading up on Miles Keller. So I got this Moonbeams book and I started reading about it. And then I started buying the Moon Guide. And now uh, Jeff Murray has since passed, and Adam Hayes picked it up, and he's selling it now. And I, tr- I listened, I watched it a little bit, I paid attention, compared it to how I was hunting and stuff, but I didn't really know a lot about it, I didn't really understand it. And then, like I said, back in, well, in 2006, it all comes back to when Whitetail Addictions comes out, and Andre DeQuisto was talking about how the Moon Guide is so spot on. And he talked about how hunting the moon times and when he was killing certain deer. And he basically, and what I was confused about, he said if it's just the moon guide says the deer are feeding in the morning, you need to hunt their bed. And because they're out in the fields and they're going to be coming back to their bed late. So it all started, you know, started making a little bit of sense and I started preparing it. I still hunt all the time, but I don't have my really good spots or get really aggressive unless the moon tells me I should get aggressive. If that makes any sense.
2: Yeah, exact direct, you know, sense. I, I've looked at the moon guy multiple times and oh, I've almost bit on it, you know, but I'm just like, my, my big thing is I, I don't, I guess I don't understand it enough to bite on it. You know what I mean? I know they tried, like I've seen the commercial effort and stuff, you know, multiple times, but I'm still confused. On exactly what it does. So, you're saying if the moon is rising, hunt their beds. Is that what you said?
3: Well, I I said if the if the moon times say they're going to be feeding in the morning. When I'm talking about the first couple hours of daylight, you need the deer are going to be up on their feet and they're going to be farther away from their bed. That means they're going to be getting back to their beds after daylight.
2: Okay. So in
3: that case, you have a better chance of, if you're hunting a bedding area, not going in there an hour before daylight and blowing deer out of the bedding area because it'll already beat you back there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But have them feeding in the morning. They're still out in the crop fields or the edge of the fields or whatever feeding. So you can slip into them bedding areas if you already have everything pre-hung and all that good stuff and get away with getting in there and then them working their way back in, let's say – Half an hour after daylight, hour or two after daylight. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, there, a lot of times, if the, moon, if the moon says that they're bedded, if they're bedded, well then you can't go into a bedding area huh? because they're already there. So you're yeah. just going to blow them out of there when you go in. Okay. So looking at the moon dial, basically, what, this is what I do. I mean, I like the moon dial that Adam Hayes puts out now because it's just, it, to me, it's it's simple and it takes out all the legwork of me looking at different moon charts and all that crap. So basically what I do is I look at it, and on the outside of the dial is red moon days, as Adam calls them, the red moon. Those are the days that the deer will be more active a couple hours in the morning or a couple hours in the evening. So basically that's when the moon is going to be overhead towards the evening hours when we'll be hunting or towards the morning hours when we would be hunting and, you know, maximum deer activity would be taking place and if you look at the times the times basically the red times is when the moon's overhead and the black times is when the moon's underfoot now they always said that the best times for deer movement is when the moon is overhead so it's the red times on that dial and if you can get those red times you look at them certain days when it's towards the evening let's say the last couple hours of daylight or the first couple hours in the morning, that's when you're going to have maximum deer activity per the moon. Now, the weather and everything else affects this. So I think a lot of times people take this moon dial and they say, oh, it doesn't work. Well, most of the time they're hunting in the wrong spots for it to work. Or they're hunting or a weather front came through and it screwed up the whole moon dial in the first place, so you can just throw that out the window for that day or that time period. Because the weather is... The moon dial is great, but weather will trump the moon at any point in time. It depends on what type of front it is. I see.
2: If so that, weather you know, before you know what I'm saying yeah, I've always heard weather, wind, direction, then moon is what I've always heard, you know. But so, I, so I, I look
3: at several things, you know. I look I look at the moon, I mainly look at the moon, but if I got a weather front that comes through, I'm jumping on that weather front and I'm not saying I'm hunting before the front. Because hunting before a front is tough because a lot of times the deer know it way before you do, and they're up and moving by the time you get in there to hunt if you're trying to catch it before the front. So I like trying – I can be, get more consistent movement and stuff if I hunt after a front. Let's say if, uh, if a storm breaks at noon uh, that evening, You know, if it rained all morning and up into the afternoon, if that storm breaks at noon – and the moon dial tells me it's going to be great evening activity, and the, moon, and the storm just broke at noon, that oh. evening's going to be red hot. Yeah, sign it's, me up. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's the same way for a morning. If that storm breaks, let's say, an hour or two or three hours after dark, and the next day is supposed to be you know a nice, clear day, and the wind direction has already changed, you know, from, from the storm front back to where it was normally, and the moon dial says they're going to be out feeding in the morning, you you can jump in and hunt your best spot. So you're going to be able to get in there ahead of the deer, and you're going to catch that movement.
2: Yeah, thanks for, thanks for breaking that down for me. I understand it a lot better from you saying that than I have watching the videos. You know, I wasn't thinking... <laughs> I wasn't thinking that hunting the beds is what they were doing. I was thinking it was just hunting in general, but hunting the beds makes a lot more sense because if those deer are going to be up moving later in the day, you could get in there,
3: right?
2: you know? So well, you saying that helped me out a lot, you know?
3: Well, basically when you're hunting a big buck, basically uh, like early season or whatever, they're going to be getting back to their beds way before daylight. You can go in there and try to hunt that bedding area or try to hunt these uh staging areas or whatever or the areas that are traveling in between feed and bed try to hunt that a lot of times they're already past you before it ever gets daylight <clears throat> and i'm not saying jump in and hunt the beds i'm, I'm saying that at certain time periods but maybe not right off the bat so you're going to hunt and you'll think oh the morning was dead well you was too far away from where they was actually bedding to see the movement because let's say the moon time was bad and they had already come past that area let's say and made it into that bedding area, maybe 100 to 200 yards from their actual bed, before it even got daylight, the same way in the evening. If the moon time, let's say, isn't good and there's no weather front coming through, well, that buck will get up out of his bed, and he may only move 50 to 80 yards from his bed. And let's say you're running 250 yards off, maybe 500 yards off on the edge of this food source where he's coming to. Well, you think the movement was dead because he never got there. But if he is triggered, let's say if the the moon says that they're going to be moving great that evening, it's a red moon, the moon's going to be overhead, let's say it gets started at 7 o'clock, the moon's going to be overhead at 6. You could still hunt that field edge and not see him. But he, instead of traveling 80 to 100 yards from his bed, he probably traveled 200 to 250 yards from his bed. The cause of the moon was, let's say, pushing him, him making him get up earlier, making him more active. But still, you could be sitting along the edge of that field and think, "What well, the heck, the movement was crap. You're just hunting the wrong spot. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Perfect sense. So...
3: because I mean, I don't, I don't hunt the beds a lot, but I do at times. But I do it when the time is right. Now, it could be a crappy moon phase, but the weather front broke late at night, so I could jump in and hunt that bed you know, it, it bedding area, let's say, uh, and catch that movement coming back in. But if I just go in there nonchalantly not paying attention to the moon or the weather, I'm probably going to go in there and blow him out even if I go in there an hour early because he already made it back.
2: Yeah. So how, how do you play with uh, barometric pressure and the moon?
3: Well, barometric pressure... Uh, just basically high pressure days. I used to, I mean, and this was from hunting and hunting and screwing up and not having any luck and all the stuff used to back in my earlier days, I loved hunting overcast days. I thought they were great. In my, uh, my mind, I thought the deer thought that it was getting darker or wasn't getting light yet and they would be moving more. And I would go out and hunt these overcast, dreary days, low barometric pressure and not have much luck at all and i would just be disappointed i'm like what's going on what what am i doing wrong what i found later is that in october some of these dreary days you still have great deer movement but when you get into november and you're still going to the rut's going to affect everything whatever you're going to november december not hunt a lot in january those deer unless it's a real nasty cold snap they don't move that well they're kind of drowsy or whatever on those overcast days is what i've seen and by looking at what mark gury's writing and talking about and all this stuff everybody else has seen the same thing when you go out on these bright sunny days it's high pressure after let's say a storm it seems like the deer are in a great mood it's like going into town you know back when i was a teenager and you know your first warm 80 degree day you got people running around everywhere It just makes, uh, it makes humans get in a great mood. And I think it does the same thing for
2: deer. Yeah. They get that warm, that, that sun on them, you know, they're a little warmer in their beds, probably getting more sun on them. Makes them want to get up and move a little bit. They got a little bit less stress on them. Man, I'm learning a lot from you. Thanks thanks a lot for coming on, dude. This is awesome. This is one that I'm going to have to listen to like three times to (laughs) absorb everything. I already know. So... (laughs)
3: Well, you may listen to it a couple times and think, wait, he's all screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> no,
2: no, like I said. I'm uh... just
3: saying what works for me, and I compare it to what other I, – I listen to what Mark Drury has to say and, and several of these other people, and I just compare it to my sightings and stuff. And, and, and I, it goes along with what he's saying. Like the pressure days. Back in back 20 years ago, I hunted all the jury overcast days with low pressure, and it just wasn't working out for me. Now the high pressure days – and stuff are working out a lot more, and especially using the moon and in coinciding with weather fronts. If you get a stagnant period that the weather doesn't change for a while, the only thing you really have to go off of is the moon because nothing the deer get in like kind of a routine, and a lot of times they're just laying on their belly. You use the moon to actually get in tighter to these areas and try to catch them moving away from their bed or back to their beds and then if you get a weather front coming through that changes the game completely just for instance in 2013 when i went out to iowa uh me and josh McAllister, who you uh, podcast before we went out there we got out there around october the 30th and it was dead you didn't see a rub along the edge of the field it was just like there wasn't no bucks but it hadn't rained for almost a month and a half to two months on the first they had a rainstorm come through and it rained for like a day and it was right after that rain was getting ready to quit it seemed like these deer come out of the woodwork I mean there was bucks running everywhere and they weren't out there running those they were just in a great mood I mean because they'd been in a stagnant weather stage for like a month and a half and it was hot this brought in colder temperatures and moisture that they hadn't had because the ground was like dust and we had some great hunts the next uh well josh ended up killing one i think the day after the front and uh mine uh was like two days after the front
2: nice yeah i'd never thought about that so you know in november if you're having just a normal everyday november days and then you you know it's as cold it's cold or even in december then you have that little warm-up you know of 10-15 degrees it might be worth going out and try to try to get on a buck because i'm always thinking you know all the cold weather's got to get them moving. And you think, well, it's a little warmer today. They're probably just going to bed up, you know what I mean? But that warmer weather, you know, I'm thinking it's warmer so they don't need to get up, you know what I mean? But maybe that little bit of sure. warmer weather gets them up.
1: Yeah, one one thing he talks about is just variance from average. You know, even if it's warmer during the late season, not, not early, but, yeah. you know, if it's warmer during the late season than it is, you know, just – at normal, because if it's if it's been twenty degrees for ten days, they're just going to be into whatever they're doing. But if, if it comes into forty five, then it, it's going to be different. It could mm-hmm. be better.
3: Sure, and like I said, last November uh, we had you know at least average temperatures, if not below average warm temp or cold temperatures. And it, in my opinion, it made for a great rut. And also, the the full moon was around. You know, I mean, it was I don't know what it was. It was somewhere around. The beginning of November, first week or so in November, and it seems like the deer moved a lot better. And uh, I never killed one in November, but I had some uh, good opportunities, passed up a couple nice bucks. So uh, it was good movement, good weather. Uh, but my problem was in Illinois last year when I was hunting, uh, we didn't have any weather fronts. We just had that cool temperature and it was north winds. And this farm I was hunting was set up for south winds, and it just put the screws to me. I couldn't hunt my the the stand places that i wanted to hunt and it was like a week of north winds and i like it to change uh that way it gives me more opportunity to take advantage of uh buck movements so but it's november and anything can happen so you still got to be out there Mm
1: -hmm. did you do anything for the 2016 supermoon oh
3: 2015
1: uh maybe that maybe that's whenever the last supermoon was because i I went hunting i was off a week a whole week for that and it just was not it wasn't very good where i was hunting at.
3: yeah and i didn't uh and i know what you're talking about i didn't like i said i I didn't notice anything different than normal now the supermoon i don't know Uh, i i didn't notice anything different than normal
1: I would say they were calling for gangbusters during that thing. <laughs> I mean, I had a shadow walking into the stand. You know, I'm like, oh man, this better be good. You know, I mean, it looked like I could reach up in the sky and touch the moon. Walking to the stand, and you know, it, <clears throat> where I was at, it just I mean, they they might have been locked down for about the first three days of it, and then the rest of it was just kind of normal. I didn't I didn't see nothing too crazy from the last super moon that we had.
3: Sure. And like I said, it all depends on, too, where you're hunting. I mean, especially if you're hunting during the rut, they could be over one ridge, and there's 20 deer running around, and you could be sitting there in the dead zone and not nothing. And, and then you look at the moon guide and say, well, why wouldn't... I didn't see anything. It's, this thing ain't... This thing's a piece of crap. It's not working. <laughs> mm, well, it's the right. rut, and you're just in the wrong spot. Yeah. Yeah. it's just... It's, it's like luck of the draw. And like I said, I hate hunting the rut unless I'm out of state. If I'm out of state, I don't have a particular deer I'm after. I know how to hunt pinch points, stow bedding areas, and stuff like that. And I just take advantage of bucks traveling, moving from farm to farm, and trying to kill a good, solid deer. In my home state, you know, the rut, I just, I dread it. I I love the end of October, but I dread when it starts (laughs) getting around the 4th and 5th. It's just because I know the buck that I'm after. If I haven't gotten killed by them, who knows where in the heck it's going to be.
1: Right, and I mean, I remember hunting that week and having a having a tough three days but after after them three days it just seemed like the light switch was kicked i wasn't in the stand 10 minutes and i had a had a nice buck chasing a doe right out in the middle of the field and then the rest of the afternoon was just on fire and then the next couple of days it just seemed to to keep up the activity so i was just wondering if you, if you had seen anything where you were at
3: I, like I said, I move around a lot, uh, hunting and, uh, in, in November, especially, uh, you just got to scout and move around and it can be some lonely hours on stands. You know, if you're in the right spot, you just got to put the time in. And that's why I like, like I said, I like hunting in October and December and January because the deer are on a routine pattern normally. And, uh, and by moving around, scouting and hunting different spots, and hunting deer sign, you can get on deer a lot easier and better. And then using, once you find that sign, you can either jump in there and hunt it, or you can, you know, set back just a little bit until either the weather or the moon tells you they're going to be moving that evening and then jump in there and take advantage of it.
2: Right on, man. This is some super solid <laughs> intel. So I know you're really big on hunting one deer, and I'm sure we could have a whole podcast on this, but we're getting into the hour mark here. So if you could just give us some some baseline pointers of hunting one particular deer and how you accomplish this, what what would you say are your keys to success on that?
3: Oh, just being persistent, I guess, <laughs> uh, and passing other deer, and like like uh, several of the bucks that I've killed. Uh, some of them I passed up before I actually killed them. Uh, let's say for instance, on one farm I had, it's a small farm. Uh, I had two bucks that frequented that farm. One of them was in the, you know, mid seven, 170 inch range. And the other one was uh, mid one sixties. Well, I was hunting that mid 70 range buck and I ended up passing up the mid sixties because I'm after, you know, one in one seventies. So, but I was kind of limited because, of the acreage I was on, the, the deer weren't staying on my farm. So basically I had to hunt the outskirts of my farm, trying to catch him coming on to it. So it was tough because you got to be disciplined enough to stick with your target buck. But I hunted that buck. And in November, I had four, at the end of October, beginning of November, I had four encounters with it. And then that thing disappeared off the face of the earth around November the sixth, seventh. And I hunted him until, The end of the month and in that meantime i passed up that other buck that was in the mid 160s and when i finally got in my head you know it was pushing december the first that that buck was gone then i decided okay i gotta switch gears and i'm going after this other buck and i already knew by hunting that farm on where this other bucks travel routes and stuff were and what he was doing so uh when the weather was right we had a snowstorm coming in that night and uh I jumped in there and took advantage of it and killed the buck on the first time, first set. So that worked out great. Uh, but like I said, most of the bucks that I've killed over the years that I'm hunting, I have a history with. Let's say I find a set of sheds off of them. I have pictures of them for one or two years in a row, and I decide that that's my target buck. and And I know from past on what his kind of habits were, but doesn't mean they're going to change. They're not going to change because as the buck gets older, you know things things change uh, it's just like uh, i like referring them back to uh you know a person growing up you know back when i was you know back a, a buck when they're a year and a half two and a half years old they're about like a 14 or 15 year old they're just running around crazy doing all kinds of stuff or kind of scattered uh, when you get to be about three and a half or whatever they're more like a 21 year old you know they're running looking for all the ladies and all the stuff they're just running everywhere you can get pictures of them everywhere when they turn four and a half, they kind of settle down a little bit, about like an adult does when they're maybe in their thirties. But then when they get five and a half to six and a half year old, they don't run after the women like they do. They kind of sit back and get one or two or whatever, and they don't move as much. And their home range shrinks, so you got to be able to you got to get right in there on top of them to locate them and kill them. So, uh, you know, if you're hunting a let's say three hundred acre farm. Uh, there may only be, uh, if you're hunting a five, six-year-old buck, there may only be a 40-acre place where that thing spends his daylight hours. And if you're hunting on the outskirts of that and different places like that, you may never see him except during the rut.
2: So I want to pick your brain about something. I got a buck I've been chasing for three years. Um, he is, I think he's six and a half, uh, at least five and a half. Um, last year he may be older I don't know I just know I got three years of trail cam pictures of him last year found both of his sheds he had a bunch of stuff broke off um, I gave him a 16 inch spread he's way wider than that but he he would have been in the 174 range last year so that would that would be my biggest buck by far so what happens with him is the last three years I've had him in velvet he's been there then he's Left, and then I get him the twentieth through the thirtieth of November. He's coming back for like a late rut, maybe, in in my area. So, do you think? I mean, you th- and I finally noticed last year, and then he'll stay for you know the first part of December. Do you th- do you think that I c- even though he is a little older, that he should be more patternable now to follow that same schedule? Or do you think now that maybe his home range shrunk anymore and he might not come back for that late rut December, early December period?
3: Well, uh, it sounds like from what I'm getting from what you're telling me is that the buck definitely doesn't live on your place. He stays somewhere else and you just frequents your place on certain dates. Me, what I would bank on is, okay, where have I seen him at in the past? And why is he traveling that area on this place at, you know, later part of the rut, and then I would, I would, I can't necessarily say I would just target that buck, but I would target other bucks on farms that are more huntable that I have basically control of, you know, their home range, let's say, but then when it got to later on in November, let's say on the date that you have had pictures of him in the past, I would jump in there and concentrate and hunt that area for him that specific time frame.
2: Yeah because, I think when that's,
3: he's, yeah. yeah, because when he's living somewhere else, you don't have no control of that. And like I said, I hunt the, the biggest buck, the biggest buck I can find that's huntable. I mean, it's hard for me to hunt a buck that I don't, I mean, I don't have access to where he he lives. I mean, it's just a uh, whim of prayer. I mean, what, are you just hoping that he crosses the fence one day and comes over there? <laughs> I mean, you know,
2: it's, yeah.
3: it's just tough. So you got to hunt a huntable buck now. If I was you, I would look hunt maybe other deer, but during that time frame, I would jump over there and hunt that specific buck in that area.
2: That's some great and, advice. And something man. could,
3: yeah, something could change. I mean, the, it, a lot of times these older deer they get their butts kicked by these four and a half year old, three and a half, four and a half year old bucks, and they move their home range just all of a sudden. You know, uh, you know, they stayed over here on this farm for you know the first four or five years of their life. And they've been the dominant buck over there the last year or two. Well, then you got a scrappy, you know, five, four and a half, five and a half year old 130 inch junk buck that runs their butt off. And he could end up relocating over on your farm. Yeah. By scouting your farm and running cameras, you'll know if he pops up. You know what I mean? But if not, and you're wanting to target that buck, then I would just, uh, I would kind of leave that area alone, maybe run some cameras. Scout just a little bit, and then jump over there when it's shown. The last couple of years when he's shown up, because usually they're pretty consistent when they show up. You know the same kind of time frame.
2: Okay, man, I'm I'm jacked <laughs> about this. I'm, tell, I'm telling homie, I'm game planning for like first week of December right now. Like I got I got some off the wall weird tactics that I'm going to throw at this deer, but I can't I cannot kill him. I've tried. I've tried the normal stuff, you know. And mm-hmm. this year is possibly the last, probably the last year I'm going to be able to hunt this piece of ground because it's going to sell. I'm not going to be able to gotcha. lease it. So I'm going to go kind of a little crazy and mm-hmm. I'm either going to blow it or I'm going to succeed. But um, Wouldn't
1: you rather blow it?
2: I I'd mean, rather. I'd rather. Blow it than I'd just rather, nothing? I'd rather, I mean, obviously yeah. you
1: want to succeed, but wouldn't you just rather be rather in there and blow it? I'd rather not hunt
2: safe. Or I'd rather hunt. And you know, not hunt safe. And then I, if I just hunt safe, like I did last year, and never see him, and never see him, I'd be like, well, that was a waste. You know, when I could have done all this other. So right now, you're taking like him blowing. Yeah, I'm taking okay. like I'm taking like him, like me you, getting in there. And, you do
1: something radical. Yeah. You get, you see him, and then he blows. Like
2: yeah. Well, I, mean, I don't know. Like, if well, I don't know. I'm still gonna have the wind. Yeah. But I'm gonna be hunting in some places that I've never hunted before. Right. You know, and maybe closer to him. I know, I feel like I have a very good idea where he's bedding in December. Like, I think I got him pegged. Like, I think he's switching his bedding area after the rut and he's coming back and he's bedding, literally bedding in like this 10 acre piece of grass and timber. And I got, I don't even know how many days of trail cam pictures I got of him right after dark. I mean, right after dark and he's going the same direction. And if I would have noticed it last year and I but I was always like I don't want to pull cams, I don't want to pull cams, I wanna you know, but if I would have went in there and pulled cams, I could have killed them last year. But
3: that's why you need a sell cam.
2: Yeah, I got I got a couple.
1: I got a couple now. <laughs> <laughs> I got a couple. Well, now. Let's not even sure. get into that Yeah. Yet. <laughs> and you can
3: take you could take complete advantage of that if you know where he's bedding at and you pretty much you understand where he's headed, so you know where he's feeding at. Use these weather fronts and moon times to jump in there. And take complete advantage of, but try to take you know, your first time in. As they always said, the virgin set is the greatest thing ever. Make sure when you go in there, you don't go in there to see him; you go in there to kill him. Yeah. So make sure you're set up right and and get it done when you're in there. So
2: one one other topic about this buck before we move on, because I'm <laughs> obsessed with. I call him Mister Freeze because I've set. And a tree stand. Because late season is the only time I can kill this deer. And you've hunted Illinois in late season. It gets cold up here, man. It gets nasty. The wind blows. And I have froze my butt off for this buck. So last year, he was real active on scrapes. I got pictures of him on scrapes. And he was busted off a lot of, you know, he he busted off uh, his G4, a bunch of kickers, um, one brow or two brows, uh, both split brows on each side got busted off and he was still 174 after all that, but Jeez. yeah, I mean, he's, he's 17 points. He's mainframe 12. <laughs> I mean, it's just insane. He's got seven points, mainframe points on one side. He doesn't have a lot of time length. He's massy. He's got matching inside kickers that are six, eight inches long. He's just insane. I mean, he's got split twos, split threes on one side. Sounds like it. Homie's seen multiple trail cam pictures. So he listens <laughs> to me. Ta- he talked about him all the time. But do yeah. you think that I? So that late rut season, he is the last pictures I've got with him. He was with a yearling doe. So I feel in my mind he's trying to get that last available doe, like a yearling doe coming in late. Sure. So you think even though that he was an older buck with having all that broke off last year, do you think me going in there in late season and being aggressive and like rattling in that area might pique his interest to come in there and maybe do some, you know, some estrus bleats with a little rattling to, if he was that aggressive last year, do you think another year is going to alter him enough that I would spook him instead of bring him in? Cause I know a lot of people say, I've never rattled in a mature buck, you know, but I have on my piece. So Mm -hmm. I I just wanted to pick your brain on that.
3: Well, I'm probably not one to answer that question very well because I'm more conservative and hate to give away my position. I'd rather go in there and sneak attack and take him by surprise on a normal movement than try to call. That's just me. Uh, I've, like a lot of other people, I've called – and stuff before, you know, during November, late November, end of October, and had decent luck with it. But usually they hang up 40, 50 yards down. Uh, They either get your circle and get your wind or something like that. The only time, and this is just personal preference, the only time I call anymore is if I see a buck during the rut, maybe on an out-of-state hunt or an in-state hunt, that that I'm wanting to take and he's not going to come by me. And that's when I'll blow some grunts at him, maybe a snort wheeze or something, maybe even rattle if I carry my antlers with me, which I don't a lot, uh, and try to turn him because I know that the path he's taking is not going to lead him by my tree. I I almost never go out and blind call anymore, let's say, just trying to call a deer in. But that's just me. I'm not saying it won't work for you. I just hate to give away my position.
2: Yeah, you know? now that you say that, I have noticed, you know, I have I have rattled in some very big deer i mean it, uh, and you know just giants but they've always hung up at 60 you know yards and and you know they did the they do like the head bob thing trying to see if anything's over there um so but i mean the, a lot of young bucks they come right to your tree you know three and a half year olds sure n- nice deer uh but i've never rattled in a deer and then shot him Got I the decoy. Yep. Uh, yeah, I got a decoy. I bought a decoy this year. I'm just trying to throw <laughs> out everything, man. I just got I, yep. got, I got, I got. I don't know. I don't think I'm going to use that on him, though. I think that's too much. That area is too well, thick, right there. It's just
1: late season. What? Late season?
2: Late November. It's too thick, right? People
3: there. People yeah. every year. Giants are killed every year with somebody rattling, somebody blowing on a grunt call, or even using decoys. I just, my, I've. I had some friends that hunt with decoys, and they've had some bad experiences. And and me, I've had bad experiences trying to blind call, trying to call deer in. So I just I try to I'd rather you know stay silent, uh, don't give away my position, and hunt, and then tear down if that doesn't work. Maybe move around, manipulate that area a little different, catching on a different wind set up and hunt another virgin set and try to take advantage of them yeah I and mean, that's just me I that's think what that's... works for me but i'm i don't want to discourage you from maybe trying that but
2: no i think that's probably the best bet because you know i feel like i have a better chance because he was he was on my property for 15 days or so so if i mm-hmm. went in there and did something crazy and radical he might be there for a day when i could have like you said 15 days to make a move you know make a virgin set and try it out but like in my mind homie like That decoy is for, like, Mr. Maybe or Chaos. That that four-and-a-half-year-old buck that's a stud Mm -hmm. that thinks he's, like, running the mill, you know, he he thinks he's owning this place, and then you go in there. Me and homie picked up a place this year that hasn't been hunted for five years, and we got two really solid four-and-a-half, five-year-old deer that are living there in that home range, and I feel like if we go in there and make a lot of noise that they haven't heard, you know, for five years, and I have a decoy out there, I feel like I can trick them bucks, but Mr. Freeze, he's heard me rattle in that corner. Uh-huh. He, you yep. know, he's he's he knows I'm probably hunting there. But what's what the most insane <laughs> thing was about this the trail cam picture I got. So I'm I'm able to hunt that day, right? So it, this isn't on a mobile cam. I go pull it, and I could have hunted that day. And I'm dig I right when I get the trail cam pic, I'm like, oh my god, he's 15 yards from my stand, you know nine in the morning with a yearling doe. He's probably <clears> there <throat> all morning. Why wasn't I in the stand? And it was on the exact opposite wind direction than I could possibly hunt that stand. I cannot hunt that stand in that wind direction. And that's when he's right there in daylight, just broadside 15 yards. But
3: Wow. For that quality, that class of buck you're talking about, I would look back at the, I would run cameras. I would scout there a little bit to see if his sign shows back up. I would just, i would jump in there i would i would have different areas picked out and i would plan on okay i'm gonna hunt once here and then i'm gonna tear down and i'm gonna i'm gonna hunt over here you know i would bounce around a little bit and try to take advantage of those virgin sets on that buck but if if your cameras have showed you the last couple of years that he shows up let's say on the 15th then on the 15th i'd be in there pounding it yeah and i would be discreet about it you know what i mean i just wouldn't be a you know you got to You got to hunt it right, but I would still, I I would be in there on it and I would be hunting the best spot in there, trying to take advantage of the wind the best I could. And maybe if there's a front coming in on the 16th, maybe I'd hunt the end of that front, you know, right afterwards. It just depends.
2: I got some game plans, man. If you can't tell, I'm just, I'm getting (laughs) goosebumps just thinking about getting in there and getting after it, you know, because that's, that's what we do. We get a history with this thing. I mean, I got to hold the sheds and the, I mean... I've, I know where he's living. I I have, like, I feel like I got this buck so pegged, but I just can't finish it, you know what I mean? I'm just, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of that, to be straight up honest with you, is knowledge and skill level. I'm not at the n- level that I need to be to kill that caliber of deer. So that's why I want to learn, because he seems like he's always outsmarting me, but I know where he lives, you know what I mean? And I just gotcha. can't finish the deal, because there's... Well, there's a piece to the south of me, there's a piece to the north of me, and then there's my piece. And no one else has got any trail cam pictures of him anywhere around me. And it's heavily hunted. He's, so he's just staying right there. He's well, he's within 200 acres. He's right, staying right there. You know.
3: Well, some of the best advice the guy gave me just a couple of years ago was, uh, uh, you know, and like I said, you, you're trying to get all this experience and everything else do what you think's right and don't be afraid and jump in there and do it and if it doesn't happen then back up come up with another game plan and go in there with the confidence that you're going to get it done and don't be afraid of blowing it because what I mean if you blow it you blow it just get in there and try to take advantage of it and get it done before neighbor kills him coyotes get him who knows what because if you set back and think well I don't want to hunt it because of I'm afraid of doing this or I'm afraid of doing that. You just got to get in there and do it. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But if you sit back, you're never going to do it.
2: Yeah. If I wish someone would have told me that last year. because mm-hmm. Now that I have the intel, I feel like I could have got it done. But now I'm positive I'm going to go into it hardcore and, and chase this deer. Homie's going to get tired of me. It's gonna be November thirtieth. <laughs> He's gonna be wore out, have two bucks on the ground, and I'm still gonna be wanting him to yeah. film for me. <laughs> Cause like like I told Homie, I said, We're a two bucks state. I shoot a one forty, one fifty with a bow and a and a one sixty walks out, I'm passing. Homie thinks I'm crazy for it, <laughs> but I got it. I ha- that a one sixty is the biggest deer I'd ever shoot yeah. with a bow. Yeah. Sure. And uh I have I got too much history with this deer. Uh a buddy found the sheds while taking a youth turkey hunting he said if i shot the deer i could have the sheds so i i gotta i gotta finish the story you know i can't just yeah like if i if i lost this property and knew that deer was still out there it would just haunt me it would just you know if i can't hunt the property and then i knew this buck had been hunting for three years still out there roaming around right past my where my old stands (laughs) were you know
3: (laughs) So. Well, you're kind of in the dilemma right now, as I'm in every year, because I hunt one particular buck, and that's basically what you're trying to do this year. Man, I get and, props uh, to
2: you, man, because that would drive <laughs> me insane if I did that every it, year.
3: It, it, it's tough. It's tough. But like I said, if if my number one buck that I'm hunting, you know, disappears and I give it till up to December, if he, if he disappears towards end of November or whatever, I can't I can't get a sighting or a picture or whatever, I'll bounce over to start hunting a number two. You know what I mean? And another one that I'm, I'd like to have, you know, uh, and because you can't hunt a ghost, so, uh, you gotta, you gotta set your goal and then go with it. I I try to stick with like this year, I'm gonna stick with my number one until, till December. And if I, if he disappears for two or three weeks a month, then I may have to jump over and uh, start hunting another more huntable buck, let's say.
2: I will tell you that if I cannot imagine the... The satisfaction of shooting, like, if you pick one deer and then you shoot that deer.
1: Oh, it's got to be insane. God,
2: it's got to be. Like, when you shoot, like, okay, you got a lot of bucks on cameras. You might know that buck, but then you shoot a bu- you know, a nice buck. You're like, okay, that, that's good. But when you shoot a buck that you pick out at the beginning of the year, like, if I shoot Mr. Freeze... That reaction video is going to be, <laughs> it's going to be like ESPN top 10 quality. <laughs> like you're going to be able to hear me Rick Flair in Ohio, man. I'm telling you, it's just the pure emotion that's going to come out. And that is going to be, and the storyline that I got, it's just oh, the work, man. It's just, oh, I got it.
3: That's great. all right? Yeah. And there's I'm, definitely, there's definitely more satisfaction of hunting a particular deer and killing it. And going out in november and just hoping to get a roamer yeah uh you know because you got so much more invested in it. and hopefully the deer doesn't know you're after him but uh you know if the deer knows you're after it uh it's uh it's pretty it's always a big shocker to them too when you're letting that air fly well he's like...
2: still there and he's still daylight <laughs> so just gotta just gotta pray don't know i'm after him yet i made some <laughs> mistakes uh but man i don't i don't know well, that's how
3: you learn. Yeah, I, I
2: appreciate you answering all these questions. You know, that's like I said, we, we have this podcast to learn, and and you, you know, hunting the same buck for so many years, I knew that you could give me some good advice, and I think you gave me some solid advice. I need to go in there, you know, play it smart, but I need to risk it for the biscuit, homie. I need get to aggressive, yeah. I need to risk get it for Get aggressive biscuit.
1: when you know
2: you can. Unlike last year when I was like, oh, I know where he's at, mm-hmm. but if I get in there... Okay, I know, I know within fifty. Okay, I know within twenty five acres where he's at. Okay, yeah, yeah. I know within twenty, I and mean, then I know the direction he's going. But I don't. If I hunt here, I'm way safe. I'm like I'm hundred percent safe. He can't win me. And if he goes a little more to the east tonight, I got him. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean. So, but this year I just need to go. Okay, he's right here i know he's here i'm gonna set up right you know i'm gonna set up right on him so man i appreciate you heath i appreciate you listening to talk and and giving us some knowledge i appreciate you talking about the moon with us like i said i think (laughs) this is one of the most (laughs) informative episodes we've put out for for big bucks and uh targeting big deer and uh i can see my path as a whitetail hunter to one day i'm gonna be right where you're at where i'm just targeting one buck and I'm gonna drive myself crazy until I shoot that one deer. So.
3: Well, that's good. I, I used to have black hair. Now it's all gray. <laughs> no,
2: I can see why. It wasn't from my wife or the kids. It was from right? that that one sixty, one seventy you've just been Just getting forever. away. Yeah.
3: Yeah, uh, but it's it's just fun, and that, like I said, everybody's got different goals, and I don't want to sound like I'm just something special because i'm hunting one deer it's just a goal that i have and to each their own you know yeah i try to target the biggest buck and that's just that's what i do doesn't mean somebody else has to do it or if i think differently of everybody for not doing it it's just to each their own
2: Yeah, that's what we say on this podcast all the time you know it's the beauty of hunting is you can hunt your own hunt you know yeah. and if one guy's doing something different than you you know it it doesn't matter make it wrong it's just you got a different style you know i mean that's the sure. beauty of it and then you can switch up styles, you can try random stuff, you know. Yeah. It's it's, it's yeah. fun. And,
3: it looked at some of the best advice the guy gave me is, you know, if last year didn't work out the way you wanted it to, change things up and do it differently this year. And you know, you just got to you got to keep trying to grow and learn and you can't sit back and hunt the same stands and think you're learning anything. You can have the same stands you've had on this piece of property for the last five years and okay now you're going to hunt the weather fronts well they're the same stands so you need to move you need to uh, i like bouncing around and hunting new spots uh virgin sets in my opinion that's what it's all about so
2: yep if you hunt something it ain't working don't think it's going to be different this year and just keep absolutely you know you got to figure absolutely keep learning keep moving keep figuring it out and then eventually you're going to have like i did a couple years ago on my lease you're going to have that Oh man, (laughs) this is how you do this. (laughs) I'm real good at shooting 140s. If they get above 140, I'm terrible at it. (laughs) That's what I tell people. If they're above a four and a half year old, just sign me out because I'm not there on my skill level yet. (laughs) I need a lot of luck. Sure. Well, one of the
3: problems is it's hard to find a five and a half year old.
2: Yeah, I shot a I shot a six and a half year old last year that I know for sure was six and a half, but he was only 139 inches. But Mm-hmm. That was one of my greatest accomplishments of deer hunting ever. I found a buck bed that I thought was this buck. I told homie, I said, I'm going to hang a stand here. He's going to hop the fence and I'm going to shoot him at five yards. And that is exactly what happened. I don't know how that worked out, but it did. Yep. I got lucky. I got lucky. And now I'm like. Okay, the same thing's going to
3: happen this year. This right? stand is money. <laughs> this year, well, <laughs> but. That six and a half year old deer, just because he had the 130 inch buck, he was still a six and a half year old. So yeah. he could have been a 200, you yeah. know, so there was no my, difference.
2: He's my biggest bodied deer I've ever shot. Trail cam pictures off of him for a couple years. Just a giant, man. I just, I was so happy to shoot that deer, you know, and, uh, how people people yeah. online look at the rack and tell me it's a two and a half year old. So <laughs> everybody's got a different well. opinion on what's going
1: on.
3: <laughs> so that's Heath, for sure.
2: Heath, yeah. you ever send a
1: jawbone in of any of the bucks you killed?
3: Uh, me no. And, and like I said, I, I'm guesstimating on these ages. I don't get them official. I don't get them. You know, send them in and have them aged. I, I just guesstimate. And mm-hmm. a lot of times, uh, some of these bucks, like I killed one a few years ago. I knew he was six and a half, seven and a half because I I've, I've seen him for the last four years, Right. and I know he wasn't, a, you know, I know he wasn't a two year old when I first seen him. So, but I, I think that'd be a good idea, you know, yeah. to send in like a tooth, I think, uh, to have it cross sectioned and have it aged.
2: That's what
1: we're
3: uh, gonna start two. doing this year. Yeah.
1: We're gonna try to start because we've got some bucks on the highlight list that you know, if we get them down, I mean, they're questionable if they're four and a half, five and a half. There's one, you know, might be five and a half, six and a half, and then. Mr. Freeze. I yeah.
2: mean, I I should send you the picture of Mr. Freeze and just you let you should. look you at should. this deer. It's just, uh, it's early season and velvet, and he just. I mean, his he doesn't even like. He just looks like he looks fat, like he's about mid October. Yeah, he just looks nasty, and it's you know, July. I mean? Yeah, just so. Insane.
1: Yeah, wow. I think that's one thing we're gonna do, and then we got a couple does on this new piece that we picked up that hasn't been 100 for five years, and they're just uh-huh. absolutely giant.
2: Yeah, so we want to send in a do- a doe jaw. A doe jaw. If we see. if we get one of these giant does down, see what see what we get there.